if, if we were to think about good design with a UX focus, I would say that that means the least cognitive load for the greatest success. And of course, success can have many different definitions, right? For somebody, it might mean getting something done. It might mean they want to feel a certain way about, you know, for why they hired that product to do what they want it to do. It might be a cost efficiency, but ideally a good design experience has delivered or even exceeded the perceived value for the user. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. Welcome to today's episode of What is UX? And this is a show where we interview design leaders from uh, amazing companies such as uh, YouTube, Netflix, Yahoo, and uh, to talk about people's journeys to help people navigate their careers, and uh, learn more about what designing in that industry is like. And on today's episode, we have Jen Binney, and uh, she hails from Teladoc, a health tech company, uh, where she is the director of product design, and also comes from Yahoo and uh, Looker, which is now a Google Cloud company. Welcome to the show. Hi, Peck. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. So we, we, we love to hear a little bit about your background, how you got started in design before getting into what you currently do at your role at Teladoc. Sure. So how I got into design, I actually studied a business in my undergraduate studies. And after school, I started playing around with making things on the computer, having fun <laughs> with it. And I got curious if there was a way to really do something with this get paid for it, and what it might take for me to get to that point. At that time, I was teaching skiing in Vail. <laughs> so oh. it was definitely playing around on the computer. Then my uh, now husband and I moved to Los Angeles, and I got started as an assistant to the president of an advertising agency. Just got my foot in the door, basically. And I worked my way into the creative side. And I took design classes at Art Center at night at the same time. And then I started to build up a portfolio. I found my way as into a junior director, art director role, got into art direction. And then I applied to the graduate design, graduate media design practices program at Art Center and got in. And then after that two-year program is really when my career in designing for tech got going. So before that, it was a more traditional graphic design and print design? or Yeah, I was in direct mail. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and also doing, you know, fulfillment packages. And so I did, I definitely started more in the, definitely in the print world and doing press checks and designing packaging. So that was, sounds like, feels like a long time ago. <laughs> I, I heard that uh, direct mail is surprisingly very performance oriented. Can you tell us a little bit about that or any insight you have? Oh, definitely. It's definitely metrics driven. <laughs> Conversion rates are a big deal. And, and sometimes are we measuring the effectiveness of a number 10 envelope and, and the headline that's on it? Or are we measuring the effectiveness of converting? Back in those days, one of the clients was a high-end bank. And so conversion rates didn't need to be, the percentage needed to be good, but it might be that 
we sent out a, a package to an executive at a bank at a company to hopefully join the bank, right? And what we wanted them, we needed to get like two or three to sign up out of maybe the 500 we sent to actually, you know, for that conversion rate to actually, you know, cover the cost and bring in the new clients. And so, so it definitely is metrics driven the by percentage. <laughs> so Jen, you, you piqued my interest. Are there any design lessons from the print world and the direct mail, direct response world that translate pretty well to online? Well, definitely if we're looking at taking the theme of metrics that I just mentioned, that is definitely something I'm even applying in the work that the team I work with is doing now, which is, you know, converting online. So if we're doing growth met onboarding and engagement, so definitely along those lines, thinking about the the business performance, right? And the conversion rates and so forth. So I think that that translates over. When it comes to the actual design part of it, they are pretty different worlds, <laughs> at least back then, right? So today it's probably a little bit more, you know, multimedia campaign. And this is omni-channel. This is your world, right? <laughs> but also it, it just, it was very different to think about designing layouts, right? Versus flows, even though ultimately it's all experience design in some form or another. Yeah. I imagine copy also played a big role. Yeah. So back then, you know, our directors probably then today too have copywriting partners Mm -hmm. and there is an alignment there for sure as well. And at Teladoc, we have, we work very closely with our content strategists. Okay. Great segue into Teladoc. So tell us a little bit about Teladoc in your words, as as well as uh, your position, what you do. So Teladoc is telemedicine and it is improving wellness for people and, and meeting them where they are with their health. I originally started with a company called Lavongo last year and Teladoc acquired it. And Teladoc, and with that, Lavongo was a chronic condition management focus, and then Teladoc is a, a larger platform, right? So what I do there is I lead two product design teams. I lead the core UX team and the growth and engagement team. Oh, great. Right now, the growth and engagement team is we're growing to have about three people, and then the core UX team is four, and then I have contractor and I have a person in packaging and industrial design that's sort of um, related to the teams as well. So ultimately right now we are at seven growing to nine. Oh, amazing. And then for those of you who know, Teladoc is doing really well (laughs) in the market. (laughs) Yes, it's pretty Uh, relevant right now. (laughs) How did you transition from the graphic design to to software design, information design, online and internet? So I was doing, I wasn't just doing print. I was doing some interactive, but it was like Mm. interactive advertising, right? And landing pages and things. Um, So, and that was when I realized that was more interesting to me. And then I went to graduate school. Uh. (laughs) So that was my bridge. And that was, that was what, you know, I, what I ended up thinking was, do I want to be doing this kind of design work? And, and advertising is great. Agency work is great. And having a breadth of brands that you get to work with and different challenges. But I was thinking, you know, in 10 years, do I still want to be doing this? And I was so excited about just interact interfaces and interaction design and where all of that was headed. So, so I followed my heart <laughs> and walked away from that role and went to graduate school full time. And then from there, it was 
that was a couple of years of really great dreaming and imagining and, you know, creating products that maybe the world wasn't really ready yet for yet. But ultimately, we've, I mean, this was 15 or 20 years ago that I was in graduate school. So a lot of amazing things have happened even since then. Yeah, there's a recurring theme of people on this podcast, even that didn't start in design. And I myself started in software engineering. Mm -hmm. But when seeing all these, I started being a consumer of consumer internet products, uh, whether it's web or or the dawn of mobile, and they were really compelling. And, And this was around the time I think Steve Jobs came back to Apple and software products started to look and feel really nice. And like, oh, you know, writing code is okay, but... I felt like I wanted to be there where creating the interfaces mm-hmm. and like, like yourself, I, I did a career transition. Do you have any advice uh, for people transitioning into design today? What, how, how do they get their first job? So I think it's important that it, you, when you say design, do you think, I know this is what is UX, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, generally speaking, right, right. Product design, UX design, whatever the cool kids call it these days, you know, <laughs> I, I, apparently right. pro, now it's been rebranded to product design, but, but design in general, I, I think. Uh, sure. Okay. So I think, I think taking foundational classes, I think that's super important. I'm, I'm a big believer in always be learning and education and continuing to grow in our own skills. And if design is true, one's, one's real interest or passion, that, they're, they're, that that is what they want to do, I would look to find mentors, find connections, but also supplement that with a lot of studying as much as possible. Now, that doesn't mean someone has to go to a formal design program, but as I mentioned, you know, one thing that worked for me was taking those night classes. Well, maybe they're online right now, but but to to really to really understand color theory and typography and spacing and understand the history of it as well. Like why do they call letting letting? You know, things like that. Because that is going to give you those core skills that will apply to any design that you do that involves, you know, graphic layout communication, moving through experiences. So I, I think that that's, that's super important. That, that is so true, especially for people who are graduating from boot camps, where it's such an accelerated experience that they're very briefly touching on topics, if, if that even just uh, going back to the basics and learning the background of you know, having stronger typography, color theory, information hierarchy exactly uh, exactly uh, information and, architecture right those boot camps um, are are great they cram a lot into those 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 sessions basically or but but supplementing those I definitely would recommend that I think it's I, I think when I'm looking you know at portfolios and when people are applying for positions that you know it's you can tell if someone has studied typography. So that's just one example, right? And so, but it's also, you have to be careful too, to not bring too many biases into it. You have to think about objectively, what does this person have to offer? And what is the skill blend that I'm looking for? Does someone need to be stronger on the visual side or do they need to kind of be stronger on the UX side with complementary visual skills? So it really, it it does depend on, um, you know, what that 
what you're looking for in a designer and what that designer really wants to do. Are they more about like the architecture and the problem solving and the strategy? And can they learn some of those skills as they go or, or, or get better at them? But again, going back to that, that foundation to complement whatever their accelerated studies are is, would, would probably serve them well. Yeah. And, and what do, assuming that companies like Teladoc are hiring, what what can someone do to prepare, for example, to, you know, if, if you're doing the interview or you're, you're recruiting, how, how can a candidate best prepare themselves? Sure. I think this probably is true beyond Teladoc as well, but <laughs> you should understand what you're interviewing for. Like what, what, what you're moving into an industry. So you should understand you know, not only what the company is doing and not just a few headlines here and there, but really try to understand where the company is within the industry, what the, who the competitors are, and, under, and also where it sounds like the company is going. And I think, so that's really trying to understand the business, right? And then there's the design part of it, which is what types of experiences have I designed for in the past? Like someone could ask themselves, is it what's what's relatable or transferable to what I think they might be solving at Teladoc? And they might not know coming into it. And those are good questions to ask in those first couple of um, conversations as well. That's very great feedback there. I think it's so, so important to not only understand uh, the role, the job description, you know, it's very easy to spray and pray applications, but really dig deep into the company and, and not only the company, but like you said, the landscape. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of comp- uh, people don't, don't do that. One of the things that I always reference when I'm coaching kind of young, young designers who are looking for their first job or something is I always point out to this a letter that Leonardo da Vinci wrote I don't know if you, you've ever heard of this one. He wrote a really long letter of offering his services. It was essentially Leonardo da Vinci's cover letter to to this either king of a kingdom of like how he could be, hey, I can build bridges. I can build you machines of wars. I, I can build wow. these ramparts and, and, and <laughs> stuff. So he was really tailoring his skills to what the, the the city or the city state wanted is looking for right and uh, i thought that and that's mm-hmm. leonardo da vinci right he's he's not hey i can just i'm Many a skills. rock star <laughs> right right but right, he was right. really catering his you know his portfolio his his skill set to what they were looking for and and that, yeah that that makes a lot of sense for sure because don't make me do that work help me yeah. understand where you're coming from, right? right? I also think one 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 more thing I wanted to add is understanding for me, I would like to understand, you know, why this company? You know, why do you want to be at this company or why do you want to be in the health, you know, the health and wellness space? I, I, I think it's important to have a good reason that is true, that that really resonates, you know, like mission driven is is something that we you know we think about with helping people get the care that they need right at the right time wherever they are and is that does that really does that is that something you're really interested in solving and improving because there's a lot of improvement that needs to be made in this space right are are you passionate about this space this space and uh, 
it, it also helps if you can come and have already thought of some ideas. Right, right. And it helps if they've used it. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, it doesn't mean that's something, a, a requirement, you know, to be interviewing and, you know, it's not a test or anything, but it, it does, it does show that there already is, there is interest or there is at least some reference. Yeah. So before well talk, you, this wasn't your first foray into health, right? You, you worked at Yahoo Health as well. Oh, a long time ago. That was my start at Yahoo. I worked on Yahoo Health and that was, I joined that team and we were doing what they called health events. So there were, there are, you know, October's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I think there's, there's like a diabetes prevention month and there's allergy, you know, allergy (laughs) awareness month and things like, and heart failure month. And so what we were doing themes, like campaigns around them that would be featured from the homepage of Yahoo and drive um, users into the, the health the health event, and then ultimately to the Yahoo Health site, which, which was more of a resource to understand diseases and conditions. And at the time was a competitor with like, was a Yahoo version of a competitor of WebMD. Yahoo, for most people probably don't know this anymore, but Yahoo was my homepage for a long time when, when they had personalization, like Mm my.yahoo.com was really great Mm because they had I had customized it to the tech news that I wanted. I had the stocks that I wanted, the temperature, the weather of the cities that I wanted. It was it was a great uh, landing portal for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It, there were a lot of great pockets of you know smart things happening at Yahoo, and it was sad to see the brand not not stay strong. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's tough to stay relevant after so many years. And there's so many, I think they definitely missed mobile, right? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a very desktop heavy company uh, in the early days. And then, but they did do some some really amazing things like like Yahoo Weather was, if you remember Yahoo Weather, oh, yes. that was like such a beautiful app. That, uh, that was truly like some of their strongest design that, you know, and there was some amazing thinking that went into sort of what you would feel when you're looking at that app. I, uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to work with that team, but I remember hearing about that process and the designers and what they were thinking. So yeah, Yahoo Weather for sure. Also, I think Yahoo Finance is a pretty star- darn good experience still. I'm a little biased because I worked on it a couple of different times, but I, I still to this day, that has, you know, you can go into a lot of different products, but I, I think I must have some sort of loyalty. <laughs> but I, 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 I do, I do think it's still a really great resource, a free resource for people to use. And you know, it's there's a lot you can do with it, and it works quite well on mobile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yahoo Finance. I remember I, I did use Yahoo Finance uh, at the time. I, I don't think it talked to my brokerage, so I was always entering, re, re-entering the info. But you know, and then at some point, other other competitors came in where they just automatically sucked in and made my life easier. So that kind of right. went away. But but Yahoo Finance, I remember, was was really a great product, great design. So I, I agree with you that that was a really cool thing. It's good to know that you worked on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting how you use a finance app though. Are you using it to look at your information or are you using it to look at what happened across the indices in the market? So what, what is it? Are you jumping in just to see where things are? And I know, you know, like Apple has their, you know, Yahoo Finance was power used to power. I don't know if they still do the default stocks app on, on iOS products. So it, it depends. Is it, where am I? 
in the market today or what is the market doing and do you you know how how much do those need to be integrated right right yeah and and i'm not like a I wasn't, I'm not a serious trader and I'm more of a long term, long and, you know, buy and hold type person. But I think, you know, for the time at the time, it, it definitely did what, what it needed to for, for me. And it was a great design. It's great consumer experience. We always like to ask this, what is good design to you? <laughs> yes, good design. I have a couple of thoughts on this. So in general, good design, I think is invisible design. Mm. I think that it's so good that it, and it all just works like there's this unspoken satisfaction to using something. And that doesn't, I mean, we could talk about interfaces, but that might be, you know, products, right? In our lives, the hard goods in our lives too. I also think good design is, it's it, if it's used as an example of good design, like that's another definition, right? So if it's used across analogous industries as this is a, this is a, this is an example of really good design, right? So that that sort of gives it that credibility to it. Thinking about the interface, like onboarding and interfaces, I, I think of an example of, have you seen the Lemonade.com experience? It's renter's insurance and it's just super easy. It's super fast. It gets the job done. And it's not overwhelming with like details that you have, you know, things that you have to do pleasant actually for renter's insurance and pet insurance and that kind of thing. If, if we were to think about good design with a UX focus, I would say that that means the least cognitive load for the greatest success. Yeah. And of course, success can have many defini definitions, right? For somebody, it might mean getting something done. It might mean they want to feel a certain way about, you know, for why they hired that product to do what they want it to do. It might be a cost efficiency, but ideally a good design experience has delivered or even exceeded the perceived value for the user. Wow. What a great definition. And I, I like that you use the words hired to do a job, even though it's software. And I think it's a good way to think about things of what am I hiring this thing to do? What is the job to be done? Yeah. Even if it's Clayton a piece of software. Yeah. It's an important framework, you know, that I yeah. think we should be referencing a lot. <laughs> right. And, and, and humans and people, we, we like white glove experience, right? Take care of me. And, and the more we don't think about software as a white glove experience necessarily. We think, we think more services as white glove experiences, but in as much as possible that a software can be that white glove experience, I think that's better. Right. I, I agree. I mean, software is a service, right? But also depending on who your audience is, there shouldn't be sacrifices. If your audience is a group of people, it's, it's an enterprise admin tool, it should still strive to be the very best. There shouldn't be a skewed more importance on a beautiful interface for a consumer, right? So I think that the bar should be high no matter who the who the audience yeah, is. Yeah. But budgets rarely operate that way between back <laughs> office and, and consumer facing software. Uh, speaking from an agency angle. <laughs> right, right. But, but we, yes. we can have aspirations, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Leading into that, does that mean that at Teladoc that's that you're you're valuing kind of like the back in back back office admin experience, kind of with the same team, same same resources? 
the, the product design team is, is growing and it is, is much bigger than even when I started at Livongo. I think we're around 35 people at this point, including about five or six people in user research part of the group. And the team focuses not only on various products, but different products for different audiences. And those audiences include the, what Teladoc we call consumers members. So members, as well as providers. So doctors. <laughs> and then also there's a group that focuses more on the clinical side of the experience as well. And so we, so, and they get to work with clinicians as part of the team, right? As well as product and developers and content and data science and so forth. So that's definitely, you know, we definitely are designing, that's, we're designing we're not all designing for the same people, but we are all on the same platform. So I noticed a trend where your your career, you know, consumer internet, you worked at Yahoo and Looker <laughs> slash Google, and then you went into health and World Talk and Livongo. What motivated you to change sector? So that's a good question. I think it was the company that was interesting me, interesting me more so than necessarily the industry or sector. However, I am very interested in like the health, wellness, fitness, live as long as you can side of the world, right? But I found that like from my time at Yahoo, which at the time I think was 12,000 people when I was finishing up there and going to a place like Looker was like a 180 degree flip, right? I was thinking I was their third designer and I was 170th employee in 2016. And that was just a completely, but it was, it was amazing as well. You know, it was a whole new way to grow. And I had, you know, undefined roles that I got to have autonomy and influence and so forth. And it was an amazing culture. But the thing that was truly that I had never seen in my career before that I saw on Looker was that there was this amazing respect from customers in fact, the support the support group was called the Department of Customer Love. It's to probably still is actually, and I, there was just and, and there was also opportunities for design to sit with the customer support team and to get on Zendesk and look at what's coming up. And every once in a while, an interface question might come up versus a you know a, a data analytics question related to SQL or whatever. But that was that was a unique opportunity. And it seemed to be a, a, a company that was really going to take off. And it was exciting. And so that was more about a change in the, the culture and the atmosphere and what the company is. A lot less bureaucracy, right? You just don't have as many people and as many layers of people, right? So that was that was really exciting. And then the move to WellTalk was also a smaller company, but it was also a career growth, you know, a chance to lead and grow team, a grow team there. I, I that wasn't going to happen at Looker because I was remote, and that play that that role was already filled. And the so the time at, at WellTalk was a little bit more about. Well, I understand some. I understand the health space space to a degree, but there was still a lot to learn about, like working with you know health plans and and you know it was B to B to C, and I had been in. B2C at Yahoo, I'd been in more B2B at Looker, and then it was sort of a, a hybrid of them. And honestly, WellTalk's based in Denver, and I'm in Denver. And so there was a part of me that was like, God, I've been remote for a long time. I think it would be good for me to not only grow and lead a team, but also be on site with people. So Were you so on site were, for, for WellTalk? Yeah, yeah, I was. Mm -hmm. um, 
just out of curiosity, how, how's Denver? I was talking to someone earlier this week and it talked or last week, something about smoke from California. Was that? Oh yeah, we get that. Calif- yeah. It, we, we get all sorts of stuff with the mountains and the way the wind <laughs> blows, I, I, but right now it's good. <laughs> Denver it's- and Boulder are, uh, yeah, love to retire there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an easy place to live. And I, the way, the reason I say that is because they, like, I love Los Angeles, but it was logistically challenging to live there, like to, to like work and live in the same community and, and that kind of thing is, it was hard to find that. This is pre-COVID, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but we're very, my family and I were very outdoors minded, big, big yeah. skiers. And so this is, and, you know, I, I kind of came full circle because I was out in LA and then I came back and because I mentioned I was a ski instructor in my past. And so being able to, to ski and enjoy the outdoors is great. I will say though, it has gotten busier here. Mm. <laughs> it has grown <laughs> in For the sure. past couple of years. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I, speaking of full circle, I, I too kind of come full circle. I, I started my career in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, went out to the Bay Area to start my company and had some great success uh, with great clients and growing the company. And then coming now with, with COVID, recently moved back to Chicago and kind of come full circle as well. How is that? How does it feel to be back? Is it different? Is it familiar? I I like that it's familiar. I think we're Mm -hmm. creatures, humans, just like any other animal, right? Our creatures of we prefer our familiarity. So, you know, going back to my old barber, going back nice. to uh, old, old places <laughs> that, that you're very comfortable, my old martial arts gym. So there's, there's, it's comforting as you get older, I guess. <laughs> so it sounds like you're back in the same neighborhood almost. Is not, that- not too far. Yeah. Not too mm-hmm. far. Yeah. So that, that's, that's, that's been good. But I mean, we, we lived all over Chicago, so we're, we're familiar with many neighborhoods, but, uh, but it's good to be back. And, Get your uh, four seasons. It's a little too heavy. The winter was pretty <laughs> rough. The first winter last year, we, after about 10 years of not having like a snowstorms and, and freezing cold, it was a little bit of a shock. But yes. We did okay. Yeah, those days when we get those, you know, 14 inch snowstorms, I'm like, okay, either I want to be on the mountain or back in California. <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah, so yeah, when if you like skiing, this is this is the place to be. Let's talk about be braver. So this is you know this this podcast. I, I want to. It's not just about career. I think personal interest plays plays a big role. I think you're doing something amazing here for for women and girls all over. So I'd love for you to share that. Thank you. Yeah. So be braver, which is bebraver.org. This is a community for moms, mentors, and daughters to get together and try uncommon things and to build confidence and strengthen their relationships. So it's really like kind of like experiential adventure or education in a sense. And the events are meant to be short, low cost, and fun. So some of examples of the things that we've done, and this is still early, <laughs> this, this, uh, this startup is the first event was to have a group of women and kids, you know, ages four to 80 jumping off a high dive. So that's the three meter diving board. Yep. Some had done it and others hadn't, <laughs> but everybody did it. And it was so cool to see the interaction and the support and not everybody knew each other. And that, that was, and some, you know, some are mothers and daughters and right. So it was, it was really 
it, it was exactly the, I, the idea I had in mind, you know, of, of, or the hope I had in mind of the experience. Another one was we did indoor rock climbing. That's a little bit more familiar to some people, but also some hadn't done it before or hadn't done it with their mom or with their daughter. And um, that, but it's not just, you know, it's not just physical. It's also thinking about, we've got a, a list of things we want to plan when, it's safer for people. I know we think we're getting safer, but now we don't know what's going on with the, the latest with, with COVID variants, but planning improv events, practical events, like how to change a tire and even give back events, like building up my bicycles and donating them. So it's really ultimately the, the whole, the whole goal is for people to feel confident and empowered and to try new things and to not have to feel like they have to go on a big trip to do this. Like hopefully it's a couple hours on a Saturday or whenever we can fit it into this people's schedules. So, so looking that we kind of came up with this about three years ago, I had to pause a little bit in the past year and a half or so, but looking forward to bringing um, more events into the community and maybe scaling over time. But it's, it's, an, and one other thing to mention is it's, it's originally like right now it's really targeted for women, but it's not necessarily going to stay that way. Yeah. I think it's a great mission to people could get so set in their ways or in their comfort zone mm-hmm. and uh, really getting people out, out of their comfort zone, especially as a mother and daughter event. I think it's, it's what a great idea. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I, the idea, just a, one more thing to add is that you know, I, I think I'm a mom of two girls and, you know, the idea came kind of from watching them when they were younger and they're actually pretty brave kids. So maybe that theme is already there, but I thought, you know, why not, why not open this up? But I also didn't want my kids to be like, well, my mom wouldn't do that. I don't want her to think that I want her to think I'm going to be right next to her and be brave with her and model that and also have that experience with them. So that's my kind of, selfish like look you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm brave right there with you even if I haven't done these things before so that's that's part of my motivation too I think it's it's really great to see parents getting getting involved in that my my background is heavily into martial arts and at one point mm-hmm. I, I taught at a school and you know a lot of parents would drop their kids off and it's kind of like you know, I call it like paid day, daycare, right? Like easy day can get, yeah, right. <laughs> they get away from their kids for a little bit, a little reprieve, but, but some, some parents took the adult class and, and did it alongside their, their kids. So I thought that was great to, to have that as sort of a family activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think any way you can engage into be or show interest into what your kids are doing, mm-hmm. you know, this is great Spend, right. spending time together. Right. We want, we want the, the younger generations to have confidence. It's, it's actually not about the, well, the, and be braver. It's not actually about the performing the skill per se. We want people to participate, but it's about how that confidence translates to what they do in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to be able to just not overthink things and, and try new things and not be mm-hmm. afraid of failure. Exactly. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a great interview so far. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for having me. I really yeah. enjoyed talking with you and um, looking, yeah, definitely love listening to all the other guests that you've had as well. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Jen, thank you. And thank you for taking a Friday afternoon out of your day 
to do this with us. Anytime. Thank you, Peck. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guests and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.